Hey, Northridge family. If you've heard me more than once, you've probably heard me talking about my grandkids. I am a very proud pop-pop, and this past week, my daughter Allison, our youngest daughter, and her husband Matt had their first child, our fifth grandchild, Cohen Eames Palmer, and Roxanne and I have the privilege of being there visiting them this weekend, but hey, you're in great hands. There's a man that God has been using here in Detroit and around the world, and he's made a big impact at Northridge. Hey, let's just call it what it is. He's a part of our family. If you've never heard him, you're going to love him. Would you please give a big welcome to Harvey Carey? Hallelujah. Can we give Jesus a hand of praise? Come on, we can do a little bit better than that. Can we give our Lord and Savior Jesus a hand of praise? Amen. He's the one that deserves it. It is such a joy, such an honor to be back at Northridge. I consider this uh, my second home, and uh, just thank God for the leadership here and what God is doing in all the campuses and just the amazing mission of this church. Uh, the love that is in the house is just nothing short of amazing. So give yourselves a hand for being such an awesome church, such an awesome community. All of us have had moments in our lives where we have uh, milestones, uh, kind of those marker moments where something occurs uh, that makes us reflect on what has happened in the past and kind of prepare for maybe the next chapter of what lies ahead. Uh, maybe it was your first, uh, well actually Brad just kind of shared a photo of uh, his first physical grandchild and the milestone that that is in his life. Uh, maybe you remember when you first had your first child, it was a milestone, it kind of changed the game. Uh, maybe your first home, uh, when you moved into that first uh, house, that first apartment kind of away from the, the nest, uh, kind of changed your perspective. Well, in my life over the past couple of years in particular, there have been some events that have happened that have been monumental, that have kind of marked some milestones for me. Uh, our, my only uh, daughter, uh, Tiffany, is uh, just finished at uh, University of Michigan where God dwells. <laughs> just kidding. All right, I know there are Spartans in the house, so you know. Um, uh, and so she's now on the East Coast and uh, working uh, for the city of Baltimore. And so my wife and I are empty nesters. And so that's a really kind of a big adjustment to have our daughter kind of grown and gone. And uh, it was a really big uh, milestone. Uh, but this year I celebrate 30 years in ministry this year. And it's a huge milestone. I struggled with how to say this because I didn't want to feel like it was a, a, a time that I was uh, marking, but I, I've passed the quarter of a century mark of marriage. Um, so 27 years of marriage to my high school sweetheart. It was love at first sight. Love at first sight. She saw me. She loved me. Um, I complete a decade of ministry, over a decade now of ministry here in Detroit where God has called me and where I love. Uh, but a couple of years ago, uh, I lost my mom. Uh, many of you have been praying for me and uh, may have been kind of aware of that journey of, uh, of faith for me. Uh, my mom, uh, only, only child, didn't know my dad, so that was kind of my entire family. Uh, but my mom went home to be with the Lord. Uh, and then a couple of weeks ago, you guys, I turned 50. Yeah. And so, um, and so, you guys, these, these, these moments in our lives make us do what? They kind of reflect, right, on what has happened, kind of make us assess what the previous years have looked like. And then we kind of start asking deeper questions about kind of what does the future uh, hold and what will the next season, what will the kind of the next chapter of my life look like? 
And out of all of those milestones, all of my years on the planet as a person, all of the years that I have been in Christ, all of the years that God has granted me the unbelievable uh, pleasure and honor of serving uh, him by preaching the gospel, I could say without question that what I'm getting ready to share with you all today is the greatest lesson that I've learned as a believer the greatest lesson that I learned, I've learned as a person, and that there is no greater subject matter, there's no greater lesson that any other person can learn other than what we're going to be looking at today. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, it will kind of unpack uh, what that lesson is. Uh, Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 34, is where we will start. Uh, Matthew 22. Uh, beginning at 34. And again, those of you uh, that have your bulletins, I encourage you to take notes, maybe write down the scripture references that I refer to. So that long after we leave this place, uh, those on the campuses that are watching, those that are watching online, that you would be able to, in your own personal time, follow up and maybe do a little deeper study in those scripture references that we'll give. Uh, Matthew's gospel, chapter 22, beginning at verse 34. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I think verse 37 and following are important to read again. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the greatest lesson that I've learned and the greatest impact of this lesson on my life, uh, it, it's simply this, the power of love, the power of love. You all, uh, Jesus is now... Uh, in a conversation with another group of people, really in a particular gentleman. And over and over again, Sadducees and Pharisees alike would approach him with these probing questions. Many times it would be to trick him, to test him, to kind of trap him in a response that might uh, kind of let the rest of the people know that he's not who he claims to be. Uh, many commentators don't feel as though this expert of the law was asking the question really to try to trap him or ensnare him, but uh, they believe that this expert of the law really recognized Jesus as a rabbi, as a noted, intelligent, uh, very gifted teacher, and this expert of the law wanted to get Jesus' take or his view on what the greatest commandment is. Now, you all, uh, the Jewish people had a lot of commandments. I mean, they had a, a lot of commandments, a lot of things that God required of them. And so many would say, well, the Sabbath has got to be the greatest commandment, that we would keep that day holy. And even many Orthodox Jews to this day, if you travel uh, to uh, Israel or even maybe those who are domestic here, uh, you'll find that those who really honor the Sabbath, I mean, they literally do not do anything that would be uh, considered work to keep that day sacred and holy before God. 
But many others would say, well, it's the sacrifices. It's the, 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 the rituals that God has given to us as a Jewish people to do. And there were so many of them. Uh, their entire rhythms were connected to those festivals, those feast days. A lot of finances, a lot of people, a lot of Levitical priests and others were in place to make sure that these feast days went well. And so it could have been that the greatest commandments is that we honor those feast days. But Jesus, this master teacher, this rabbi, responds to this expert of the law's question with an answer. He says, out of all of the commandments, the greatest commandment that we could ever have uh, is summed up in these words, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest, and the second is similar, love your neighbor as yourself. So I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about the direction of love, the direction of love, the difficulty of love, and finally the divinity in love. So three things, the, the direction of love, the difficulty of love, and the divinity in love. So Jesus opens by saying the greatest of all the commandments is that we love God in three ways. We love him with our heart. We love him with our soul, and we love him with our mind. Well, if God commands that we love him in these three areas, I think it's important that we really know what those three areas mean, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all, not a little, not portioned, but all of your heart. Well, obviously, you all, he's not talking about this beating physiological thing inside of our chest that pumps the blood through. He's not talking about that. The heart in Scripture is also is often referred to metaphorically as the, uh, the part that deals with our emotion, right? Our will, our desire, uh, our feelings. And you all, he says, I, we, he, he desires that our heart, that our emotions, that our feelings go towards God. And it goes towards God with an unbelievable love. To love God with the truest part of our emotion. That many of us affix love to the wrong things. We say, I love my car. I love my job. I love my girlfriend. I love my boyfriend. But listen, you all, no matter how much we affix love to temporal things, temporal things will change. Temporary things will not remain the same. I don't care how good it looks today. I don't care how important it is today. Those things, by the very nature of what they are, can never satisfy us. And so many of us affix our love and our emotions into people and into things that are not sufficient to hold the capacity of your love. But God is sufficient to hold the capacity of our love. So he doesn't want us to love him in a portion. He doesn't want us to love us in a small measure. He says, but with all of your emotion, with all of your feelings, love the Lord your God with all your heart. But then he says to love the Lord God also with your soul. The soul of man is the part that makes us distinguish from all other parts of God's creation. The Bible says in the book of Genesis that when God made man in his own image and in his likeness, he breathed into him this, this word, the breath of God, this ruach, the ruah, the breath of life. And then man became a living soul. We inside of us carry eternity. Because unlike any other part of creation, when God breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, he breathed into the human being eternity. And every human being has a soul, and that soul is eternal. 
every person in this room, every person watching online, every person on the campuses, each one of us, we literally have a soul that is eternal. It reminds us that we are cut from divinity. But the issue is not whether or not we have an eternal soul, because all of us do. The question is, what will be the final destination of that eternal soul? You will live forever. The question is, where? And so God says, I want those of you then who follow me, those who love God, to love God with that part of you that is divine, that part of you that is the, the nature of God, to turn your soul, your inner man, your inner being towards God and to give that part back to him. Love God with all of your uh, heart, with all of your soul. But then he says to also love God with all of our mind. You all, I'm so grateful that God does not want us to check our intellect at the door. That God does not want you to not be a thinking person. There are many people that believe that the moment we cross the line of faith, all of a sudden we become, you know, kind of robots or some kind of, you know, uh, puppets that we don't have a brain. God made us with intellect and made us with a mind. He said, so I want you to also love the Lord God, uh, not only with your heart, not only with your soul, but also with your mind. Proverbs chapter 4, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 7 uh, says these words, and I really want to read this because I feel like it's worth uh, us hearing. Uh, Proverbs 4 and 7 says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom, though it costs all you have, get understanding. He says, the beginning of wisdom is this, to get wisdom, though it may cost all you have, but also with your wisdom, get understanding. So God does not want us to not understand. He says, so with your mind, with your understanding, also love God. And you all, for God to give us a commandment to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and with all of our mental faculties, that is a pretty big order. Because you all, this was not a suggestion, this was a commandment to love God with all of you. But then he also follows up with this other piece that says, now, now, in addition to that, there's one that's right behind it, kind of a runner-up right next to it, it, is that you love one another the way that you love yourself. Now, you all, I think if we were to weigh the, the, the choice of love, we would, weigh, we would err on the side of loving God who we don't see, as opposed to loving the people that we do see. Because the people that we do see get on our last nerves. <laughs> now, you all, I, I don't know about you, but I believe that there are people that are fashioned by the hand of Satan. And there are people that the devil, uh, uh, he uses to push that button. And they know what that button is. And for whatever the reason, they get pleasure, they get joy, they get some kind of sick excitement out of pushing that button button. And when you go to work tomorrow, I promise you there are people in the room who have co-workers who know how to push that button. Some of y'all got bosses that know how to push that button. Some of y'all got spouses. You sit next to them. Don't you laugh too loud. Because they know how to push that button. Some of us have children. And the bottom line is there are people in our lives who as much as we hear God's commandment to love them, it seems impossible to love them. So God gives us a direction of love to love God 
and to love others, but then you all, there comes this difficulty, right? How do I love that that's unlovable? How am I required to love someone that I don't believe deserves love? Now, I'm going to say something that might be a little bit difficult to hear, but for many people in the room, honestly, this is where you are. Even with God, there are some people that have a difficulty loving God. Because in our minds, we say, well, how can God, who is supposed to be caring, how could God, who's supposed to be just and fair, how could God, who's supposed to be all-powerful, how could he allow what happened to me to happen to me? If God, who is supposed to be all of these wonderful things, he's so good, then why is he allowing evil in the world? Why are people being senselessly murdered? Why are there injustices going on? Why would God allow it? And so when God gives us this commandment to love him, we often scratch our heads saying, God, I, I want to love you. I believe it's right probably to love you, but you've done some things, I believe, that are unlovable. Now, let me just clear it up in case we need to, to, to get a little level set as to what that's all about. Uh, God is not the author of evil, but because of man's choice, Man was given free will, and mankind chose to say, God, we don't want your way, we want our way. Adam and Eve in the garden decided to specifically disobey God's commandment and say, you know what, we want to, know. We want to be God in a sense. We want to take the control, and therefore in that moment, evil entered into the world. Prior to that point, there was no evil in the world. There would be no murder. There would be no killings. There would be no violence. There would be none of the things that, that hurt us today. But in that one act of human, humanity's decision, human will, at that moment, evil entered into the world. And because God continues to give humanity free will, unfortunately, evil persists. Doesn't mean that God is evil, but it means in the fairness of God, he's given mankind the freedom to choose and most unfortunately, have chosen to not choose him. But for some of us, because of deep hurt, deep wounds, it's almost impossible to even cross the chasm to love God. There's some of us that are in the room, and, and we thank God for those that are watching online and those in other campuses, those that are here that are not members, that maybe somebody brought you, and you're in this church thing, and you're like, what's it all about? Some of you were wounded by church. Some of you all were hurt by church. By the people that are supposed to represent God, you were wounded by them, and now God is commanding you to love him and love those people who hurt me so deeply. I don't know about you, but this is a difficult request. Now, you all know that the Ten Commandments are not ten suggestions. I mean, you, you do know that, right? You do know that the Ten Commandments are not ten, you know, if you cans. These are Ten Commandments, and you all, you, I, I don't know about you, but have you ever read them? You want to you be, be a depressed person? Start reading the Ten Commandments and seeing how many you broke. You all, he says, I'm perfect, I'm holy, and I'm pure. And for me to give humanity a glimpse of my holiness and for me to give humankind a glimpse of my nature, I'm going to tell them what I expect of them to be in my presence. I expect them to have nobody ahead of me. I expect them to never desire what belongs to another. I expect them never to lie. 
tax time is coming up. And you all, all of us, listen, all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God, right? There's not a person in this room that has not broken one of those commandments. And listen, when it's a commandment and we break it, God is reminding us that, listen, you can't really be connected to holiness broken. So the introduction to the law was a problem. Because the law revealed our inability to keep it. Why would God give us a law and then know we couldn't keep it? Because God, watch this now, because God knew that the only way God could be pleased is by God. Let me say that again and slow it down. God knew that the only way that God could please himself is by himself. Because humanity by itself does not have the capacity to do what he requires. For God then so loved the world that he gave his son, one who is in the very likeness of God, who decided to come and to be among us, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, born of a virgin, very important, because he was not born like you and I, he was born sinless, which means he satisfied God's requirement for a human being honoring him and obeying all the commandments. The Bible says he's the only one who walked the earth as a man that never sinned. And that is why we serve him. That is why we worship him. We're not worshiping some kind of an idol or some kind of a man. We are worshiping the God who loved us so much that he decided to show us what perfection looked like in a body. Hallelujah. Thank God. And so Jesus, watch this now, Jesus satisfied God's commandments. Show me a human. That will do all that I require. Jesus says, pass, past it, past it, past it. All right. So then he gets to the cross. And people say, oh, the cross is what killed him. Well, no, not really. The Bible says that, listen, the wages of sin is death. Jesus had never sinned. Listen, you all, he could not have died unless sin killed him. And he had never sinned. So then what killed him then? Your sin and my sin. He decided to become sin so that what we deserve, we didn't get. And he got what he didn't deserve so we could now experience what he has given to us. Is there anybody that loves Jesus in this house? Hallelujah. Glory to God. Glory to God. Jesus satisfied God's commandment for a human being that would operate in what his commandment said. But now he flips it around and says to us, now love the Lord your God with everything and then love people with everything. You all, that's impossible. Uh, I was sharing with the earlier services that I was called to preach at a church uh, in Indiana. A friend of mine became a pastor there and had been there for several years and decided to invite me to come and to speak for a Martin Luther King uh, weekend service. 
he said, uh, Pastor Kerry, uh, I just want to let you know, kind of give a little heads up, that this is the first time they've ever had an African-American uh, pastor. Oh, I'm black, you know. <laughs> you know, some of y'all didn't know, so. Uh, first time they've ever had an African-American pastor uh, preach at the church. I said, okay, you know, you know, that's okay. He said, um, and just another thing that for you to kind of know is that prior to a few years ago, uh, they hated black people. He said, and, and, and I just want to share with you a little bit, a little bit more. <laughs> he said, I was teaching at the church, and I was in the middle of a sermon, and I mentioned Dr. King, and I heard a, an unbelievable silence in the congregation. It was, you know, as a, as a speaker, you know when you've lost the crowd. And so I, after the service was over, I talked to the chairman of my deacon board. I said, you know, what happened in the service? I was speaking, and I don't know what happened. He said, you mentioned Dr. King. He said, yeah, I, I did. Uh, well, we don't believe black people are human. So he had to preach us into humanity. So after about a year and a half of him finally convincing this church that we were human, then he also said, you know, well, since they're human, they have souls. And they're like, oh, okay. And then uh, he says, and you're going to be the first black person to preach there. <laughs> so I get there, you all, and they're offering me snacks and food. I said, I'm fasting. <laughs> y'all ain't about to kill me. Y'all ain't about to kill me up in here. No, you're not. I didn't even drink their water. I'm serious. I'm not even drinking bottled water. I don't know. They might have stuck a little something. Nope, no water. I brought my own water. I said, I don't even want your handkerchief. I took my own towel. I'm serious. I did. Um, and so I'm preaching, all right? And uh, in front of me was a lady, an older woman. She had to be at least 1,000 years old. <laughs> and, uh, and she was there, and I, I saw her just getting redder and redder and redder as I continued to preach. I mean, her complexion was just turning red, just blood red, just redder and redder. And uh, I could see she was very uncomfortable. I mean, she was in the front row. And, you know, any of you know how I preach. I mean, I spit and all kind of stuff. So she's getting black spit. And <laughs> she was just going through. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, and for the, all y'all that's not laughing, what's wrong with you? Okay, so anyway. All right, so, um, so I'm preaching, and, and I'm, I'm done preaching. And, and she says, Pastor Gary. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, come here. I said, yes, ma'am. And I um, came to her and she said, you're black. I said, I gathered that. And she says, I'm white. I said, yes, ma'am. I've never been this close to any of y'all. I said, okay. And she said, you preached the word of God today. And it was biblically correct. I said, praise God. She said, so put those black lips right on this face. Give it, give it right here. <laughs> I gave her the biggest black kiss I knew how to get that white lady. <laughs> you all, I, I had to share that in a humorous way because that was my encounter, and I've had so many, of racism. And you all, this is not a stage to 
make anybody feel uncomfortable, but that's just one area of discomfort that we face when someone's different from us. Maybe it's not race. Maybe it's another issue that would cause a chasm, a difference in our capacity to maybe love someone because they're different from us. Maybe it's a sibling who is in your own family who you're supposed to love, but because of their continual reminder of what they have and what you don't, maybe their continual reminder of, of all of their accolades, so you're subjected every Christmas and every Thanksgiving to have to sit there and suck up their continual self-absorption. And you say, well, how can I love them? Maybe it's an ex-husband or ex-wife or ex-boyfriend or girlfriend who took your heart and trampled it and broke it. How can I love them? Maybe it's someone who actually committed a crime, maybe snatched a loved one, maybe murdered. How can I love them? And the question is answered by this. You can't. You are incapable. I am incapable of having that level of love. But here's the, here's the same thing. Guess what? You have received that kind of love from God. And even though you were sinful, the Bible says not when you were in Northridge, not when you start listening to Jars of Clay and Kirk Franklin, not when you start listening to WMUZ, but while we were yet sinners, Christ commended his love for us by dying on the cross while you were messed up. And if the same way that God showed us grace, then we ought to, through him, show grace. We've been shown grace to show grace. We've been given love to give love. We have received love to show it. Part of the mission of this church you have many mission statements and many mission kind of goals that undergird this ministry, but one of them is showing love. But how do I do that? How do I show this power of love when I'm incapable of doing it by myself? I'm glad you asked because there's an answer to this, and the answer, you all, is in God's divinity. It's not in your ability. It's in his. First John. I love this. First John chapter four, verse eight. Watch this now. Let me, let me make this statement before you read that. We can gauge a person's God, God level, if you want to call it that, or spiritual dependence based on whether or not they're able to do certain things that they know they could not do without God. Let me say it again. We can gauge a person's spiritual maturity, spiritual dependence on God when he or she is able to act, respond a certain way that not only they but everyone else knows is out of character. You would not respond that way. You would not, could not behave that way unless there was something working in you greater than you. And so here's what the word says in 1 John 4 and 8 when it talks about love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I love the Lord. Don't, don't call me no more. Do you hear me? I said, don't call me no more. I don't like you. I don't love you. Lord, I love you. Lord, I worship you. I don't like that group of people. Can't stand them. 
Lord, I love you. Don't you ever mention his name. Lord, I love you. Don't you ever bring them up again. How can we love God whom we've not seen and hate the person that we've seen? He says the person who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. And when God is in you, he does in you what you cannot do in and of yourself. It is not you trying to love. It is him loving through you. Listen, I'm about to, we're about to save somebody's marriage. I'm about to help you with your marriage. You can save some counseling time and money. You cannot change her. You can't change him. He was crazy when you met him. He was crazy when you, well, I thought by now he would have learned. He hasn't. He hasn't. Well, I've been, bring, I've been bringing, I, I, I put oil on his head at night, and I, and I <laughs> every day he wake up his head, he's like, what is the, he's sliding out of bed. Like, what's the, <laughs> none of us can change another person. None of us are required to. But what we are asked to do is show every single person the love of God. And when we do that, the Bible says it is the love of God that leads men and women to repentance. It is not judgment. It is not the law. It is the love of God that makes us want to love him. Listen, you all, if God says, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, nobody's going to follow that. But when you thought about how jacked up you were, how messed up you were, and God still loved you, you decided, I need to stop acting a fool because God has been good to me. Hallelujah. God is love. And don't tell me God is not powerful. You want to change the situation, put some love in it. Because when you put love in it, you put God in it. People are not looking for your Bible verses. People are not looking for your, your intellectual uh, dissertation on theological stuff. They want to see, can you love? And when they see the love in you, they see the God in you because God is love. But the last thing you all, and this is the last point, there's one more scripture that will help us. Pastor, I get it. I need to love the Lord with my heart because I, I think my heart is on its way. I know my soul has been redeemed, so my soul desires to do these things. It's just my mind has been the problem. But I'm getting a little bit more of an understanding. But, but could you tell me one last thing that might help me to realize how to surrender this? Philippians 2 and 13. It says, watch this now, Philippians 2, 13. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill God's purpose. I rarely read from the message, but I want to read the message's translation of this. What I'm getting at, friends, this is, is that you should simply keep on doing what you've done from the beginning when I was living among you. He says, there it is. Be energetic in your life of salvation, reverent, sensitive before God. Here it is. That energy 
is God's energy, an energy deep within you, God himself willing and working at what will give him the most pleasure. When we surrender to God, we allow him to do in us what we're incapable of doing in our own strength. When we yield to him and we surrender to his will, not my will, but your will be done, he gives us the ability to forgive, he gives us the ability to love, he gives us the ability to look beyond difference, and we become a radical community of people that are able to love everybody in the name of the one who loved us. Northridge, I give you this charge today. It's time for a love revolution. It's time for a love revolution in our city, in our region, in our nation, and in our world. And guess what? It starts with us. Is there anybody here that's ready to see God use you? Is there anybody here that's ready to see the anointing of God break down barriers, break down walls, and change things? Are you ready? Are you ready, Northridge? I want to pray a prayer for you. I want to pray a prayer for you because I know that there are people in this room that have been hurt deeply, hurt by church people, hurt by loved ones. You can understand an enemy, but a friend. And in Jesus' name, there's healing in the house. Let's pray. Father, we do trust you. And we thank you that what we're incapable of doing, you're able to do through us. What we don't have the strength to do, what we don't have the ability to do, God, you have the ability to do it through us. For someone that is here that is far from you, that has never accepted you, God, we pray right now that you would give her, give him the courage to say, Jesus, you are the Lord of my life. If you're here right now and that's you, you don't know Jesus, just right where you are, just simply whisper to Jesus, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord. And in doing that, you now have the ability, the capacity to do what you couldn't do before, to love. And for the rest of us that are believers who have struggled with how to do it, the question is not how to do it, but how to receive what he's already done. God, would you allow us to be the loving body of Christ that radically shows this love to a dying world that needs it so desperately? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. All that believed it said amen and amen. Can we give the Lord another hand of praise for his goodness? Hallelujah. Amen. Listen, in your bulletin, you received uh, a little card here. It's a connection card. And those of you that are visitors, those of you that are here and that made a decision to accept Christ, or maybe you want someone to follow up with you, fill out that. Those that are online, just click on that tab and, and let us know who you are so that somebody will get back to you right away to follow up with you. Also, at the end of the service, there are prayer counselors down here. Some of you all today, God spoke to you, and you really want to kind of do some business with God and surrender some things. There are prayer counselors that are here that are willing to, to serve you in that way. Uh, uh, Northridge, I love you all so much, and I'm so grateful for what God's getting ready to do in your life and in the life of this community, the power of love.